For those of you who don't know who I am, uh, my name is Carlos, and I'm a church planting resident here at Sojourn Heights. Uh, essentially, what that means is uh, that means that I'm undergoing a season of training, uh, of equipping as a pastor, as a church planter to, um, by God's grace, in the near future, plant another local expression of God's church in a different part of town in East End Houston. Uh, if any of you have any questions about that, I would love to talk to you after the gathering. But as Eric said, we're in the season of Advent, um, a season that the church has historically uh, observed as a season of anticipation, of, of eager longing for the celebration of the nativity of Jesus or the, the birth of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, and as we heard through the scripture reading this morning, uh, we're in a very famous and well-known passage, right? Um, this is a passage that even me, who did not grow up in the church, was, was well aware of, the, the, the wise men. Um, I always thought it was three, but come to find out it's not three, right? Um, but this is a very well-known passage of Scripture. Where we see the, the, the wise men who came uh, from the outside, right? The outsiders that come into Jerusalem in search of this newborn king. So let's, let's jump right into it. Uh, way back in, in high school, when I was in high school, I, uh, I remember the first time uh, reading uh, Shakespeare. Uh, this is like ninth grade. Uh, man, I fell in love with it. I, and I, after that, I, I, I grew a, a love for reading and for writing and for literature. Uh, that, that would be uh, instrumental in me eventually uh, doing uh, hip-hop music. I was a rapper and I was a poet. Uh, and so because of that, in, in writing poetry and in writing uh, songs, I, 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 I grew to love literary techniques and rhetorical devices and so on. And, and when, I, when I read this portion of Scripture as I was studying uh, this text in Matthew 2, it, it was hard for me to not see uh, an irony here, a, a situational irony. And for those who don't know what that is, a situational irony essentially is... Uh, the, the thing that you least ex- expect to happen actually happens. And those in the story are not aware of it, but those reading the story, the one writing the story, is well aware of it. And when we look at this passage, you know, we see that the Jewish Messiah that was prophesied right for many years, the, the, the long-awaited Messiah by the Jewish people, when he came into this world, was actually first worshipped by Gentiles, not by the house of Israel. And this can teach us many, many things. And really, we can, we can dig into this, this portion of Scripture, these 12 verses, and find many things here, many beautiful uh, uh, truths. But, but today, I want to focus on, uh, on one of the main themes of this passage, and that's that, that God's mission to draw in the nations for himself will never be thwarted. And, and because of that, we, as his people today, can be filled with confidence as we seek to join him in his mission of, 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 of redemption in this world. And so I want to highlight three things this morning as we, as we walk through this passage I want to I highlight the unexpected worship that came from the Gentiles, these, these wise men, these magi, um, the unexpected rejection that came from the Jewish leaders of their own Messiah, 
and the unexpected gifts found in this story. So let me read verses 1 and 2 for you again. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So to give you some, some context of some of these characters, right? So Herod was, was the king of Judea at that time. He was actually installed as the king of Judea uh, by the Roman Empire. So you could say he was, in, in a way, an illegitimate king. He wasn't even Jewish. So he was, he was ruling over Judea at that time. And this man had an obsession with killing people who he thought could potentially dethrone him and assume the throne. One of the most bloodthirsty tyrants in history. He even killed his own family because he thought that one day they could potentially remove him from the throne. A very violent, bloodthirsty man that we find uh, the king of Judea during that time. And the wise men were, were, were men who were students of the stars. They were into the, the field of astrology. They, were, uh, uh, also, uh, they also played a prominent role in, in court life in eastern states and were, and were known as advisors to kings. And they were Gentiles. Or they were not part of the people of Israel. Yet we see in this passage that uh, they seem to also possess some form of knowledge of the ancient scriptures, of, of the Old Testament. So let's, let's imagine for a moment living in that time period. You're, you're living in this time period where King Herod is, is king and is ruling with a heavy hand, a, a, an iron fist. And, and the people of Israel have gone through 400 years of what many people call a prophetic silence where no word of God was spoken. And, and, the, and the Israelites, the, the Jewish people... Are, are longing for someone to come rescue them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so they're, they're seeking a Messiah, in many ways, more political than spiritual. They're seeking a Messiah to come into this world with power, with prestige, with, with authority. I can only imagine how, how tired many in Judea, God, of, of waiting for this Messiah. We see in the Gospels, in, in the rest of the Gospels, uh, a man named, named Simeon who was given a word from the Holy Spirit that he would one day see the Messiah born before he would pass away. And then we also read about a group of shepherds, right, who the, the, the angels did, appeared to them and, 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 and told them that Christ the Lord had been born. But other than that, we don't really read in Scripture uh, for the most part, the, 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 the Jewish people rejoicing over the birth of Christ. We actually see it was marginalized people who rejoiced and approached the Messiah. And in this particular gospel, because Matthew wrote it to a Jewish audience, he's, he's purposely highlighting this ironic fact that it was Gentiles from a distant land that were the first ones to worship the Jewish Messiah. And this was obviously unexpected because the wise men were not part 
obviously, of the people of God. So this is the, this is the context in which uh, the wise men enter into. And when they arrive in Jerusalem, they begin to, to, to walk around and ask around, hey, where is this, this, this one who is born king of the Jews so that we could worship him? And this word spread and got around, and, 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 and King Herod heard of it, right? They're, they're walking through the marketplaces and the streets, wanting to know where this newborn king of the Jews was. You see, you see, in, you see that irony there where uh, Gentiles who would be considered pagans by the Jewish people are in the streets of Jerusalem asking, where is the king of the Jews so we could worship him? And while apparently the, the house of Israel knew nothing about it, it was, it was as if the wise men, in asking that question to the crowds of the Jewish people, it was as if their question was almost prophetic. God was completely stepping outside of, of the paradigm of the Jewish people. Israel, who had prided themselves with being the covenant people of God, was for the most part found sleeping at this first advent of our Messiah. So, so God, because his plan will not be thwarted, and called outsiders to come in and find this Jewish Messiah, this one who is to be born king. And just, just like any legitimate king is to have a crowning ceremony, so, so Christ, when he was born, was to have a crowning ceremony. But it wasn't the king of Judea that crowned him. It wasn't the Jewish people that crowned him. It was Gentile outsiders, the wise men who came into Jerusalem to crown him. And really, God hasn't stopped working like that, right? God hasn't stopped uh, continuing to uh, kind of break our own paradigm, to break our own view of how God should work. And we can even talk about today um, as the church. We, we sometimes, uh, as the church, big C church, um, think that God should only work a certain way or should um, use certain people and I'm definitely not talking about God doing things outside of what is, uh, what is uh, laid out in Scripture. Uh, but many times we, we, can, we can get so caught up in our own philosophies of ministry, our own methods of reaching people, um, that, we, that we, we tend to feel as if God uses our method but not someone else's. And so here at Sojourn we do, um, as Eric mentioned, parishes, right? We do uh, what we call parishes are essentially missional communities, and we, and we talk about long-term and low-key and relational, and this is the kind of ministry that we want here in the heights and across the city. But, but let, let, let me remind us, brothers and sisters, of one of our brothers, a dear brother here at Heights by the name of Rolando. Let, let me remind us that that God surprised our congregation and saved someone outside of our philosophy of ministry. God called this brother when he was in the depth of darkness and said, walk up to that church building. And as much as we say here, the church is not a building. It is not. Indeed, it isn't. It doesn't mean that God can't use it. 
in a powerful way. God called this brother Rolando into this building and told him to go and ask about God. And he walks in, and, and one of our other church planting residents shares the gospel with him there on that couch in the gallery, and the Lord saves him then and there. And this was outside of him being invited to a parish. It was outside of this low-key, long-term, and relational method that we have. As much as I, um, I, I um, am, am a proponent of this philosophy of ministry, we, we have to remind ourselves that much like uh, how God used the wise men to kind of shatter the, the box that Israel was living in. Um, he often does that for, for us as well. And this means we, we don't neglect the simple sharing of the gospel as well. Maybe to those who we don't deem as, as, as primed or as ready to receive the gospel. If Think a normal Jewish man standing in front of a wise man and kind of a, a Jewish religious man would have chosen the Jewish religious man. But you know, God, God used the, the, the wise men who, who revealed and showed that they had true faith. And so this means we don't we don't we don't hold back from sharing the gospel because we think that these people whoever it be, whether it be an atheist, whether it be a homeless man or woman on the street, um, we already make kind of the decision for them and, and say we, we, you know, that we, we shouldn't waste our time. They probably won't believe. It's probably a waste of time. Uh, but, but here we find a reminder to share because, because one day that, that seed that was planted in that heart could, could give fruit of unexpected worship. And there's a flip side to that coin, right? Where we find unexpected worship by these wise men, we also find an unexpected rejection of Jesus. Let me read verses 3 through 8 for you. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for this child, for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod was, was very disturbed when he heard of the wise men asking around of this one who was to be born king of the Jews. And this word troubled um, in, its, in its original meaning in the Greek is, is to agitate or to make restless, to, to strike one's spirit with fear and with dread, to render anxious or distressed. So the king of Judea, as I stated earlier, was not truly king. He was not from the royal bloodline of David. Maybe this is why he, he felt this strong insecurity to protect this throne with everything that he had. And we also see here that, that when he was troubled, it says that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And this shows the fear 
in that time that the Jewish people had towards King Herod. They had succumbed to their fear, and because of their fear, they had lost sight of the bigger picture. Fear made it difficult to see beyond their immediate circumstances, much like many today, right? When you talk to someone who's extremely poor and is barely making it day to day, it's hard for them to see the bigger picture because they're, they're looking to just get by that one day. Well, imagine this, this people being oppressed by this tyrant. It was hard for them to see the bigger picture. And even though it, might, it may not be surprising to see King Herod's response, and, and next week we'll hear about King Herod's response, but essentially King Herod obviously didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to find Jesus to kill him, just like he had done many people before him. So it's not surprising that we would find uh, King Herod's rejection. But, but, but I did find it surprising um, that the Jewish leaders uh, passively reject the Messiah. We see that Herod gathers all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. So these were people that were connected. They had their ear to the street. Like they, they, they talked to the people of Israel. And he gathered these men who knew the scriptures to ask them where the Messiah was to be born. And we see here that the, Jew, the Jewish leaders show the obvious knowledge of these messianic prophecies by quoting scripture back. And I'm saying, yes, yes, the, the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem, for it says in Scripture, O you, Bethlehem, are not the least among Judah, right? They, they quote Scripture back, and, and they, they let Herod know, yes, he is to be born in Bethlehem. They maybe knew how to, how to, how to, how to spit truth out, but we don't see... We don't see any res- response from them. We don't see the scripture is, is silent in their response. Had they been maybe captivated by the very scripture that they were quoting, maybe they would have followed after with the wise men to go, go seek out this one who has been born king of the Jews. But we see nothing of it here. It shows that the Jews did not reject Christ out of ignorance. Now, these leaders knew very well where this Messiah would be born. And, and when King Herod approached them, they spoke this truth but did nothing about it. And, and this rejection, whether, whether explicit like Herod's or implicit like the Jewish leaders, reminds us today that, that just knowing Scripture is not enough. Just filling our minds with knowledge, right, is not enough. I have to ask myself, we have to ask ourselves, is, is this knowledge that we're gaining changing us? Is this knowledge that we're gaining producing the fruit of obedience? I, I'm, I'm reminded of, of kind of, you know, in my early, in my early stages of, of, of becoming a Christian, and then when I, when I, when I, when I stumbled upon these, these doctrines of grace, and I... Um, Grace alone, right? By grace alone and Christ alone. And how many debates I saw amongst friends and people that were quick to spit out and, and respond with Scripture and correction and people that were very, very, very knowledgeable in Scripture. Um, and this kind of young, 
young reformed crowd, right, that were, that were full of knowledge, but when you looked at their, their life, you saw there was a disconnect. And so that's, I was reminded of that, that, that we, we, need to, we need to constantly be asking, is the knowledge that I'm gaining uh, producing the fruit of obedience in us? Let's move on. So, so Herod inquired from the chief priests and scribes of the people. He, he summoned the wise men and then told the wise men that Christ is to be born, that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. So he tells them to go to Bethlehem, find him, and then come back and let him know where he is so he too could go worship him. And something to note here is that after this prophecy in verse 6, after it's mentioned, Matthew no longer calls Herod king. If you, if you read through after that, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, mentions Herod, but he doesn't say Herod the king or King Herod. And we see this, this subtle kind of dethroning of King Herod through the writings of Matthew to, to crown the true king of Israel, the true king of the Jews, Jesus What good news that is. What good news that was for them, though they had not realized it yet, that now their true king had come. That that the illegitimate king, Herod, was not to continue to rule over God's people, but that the the true king had come into this world. And he didn't obviously come because they deserved it, right? Right? As I said earlier, I mean, they, they seem to be asleep or at least passive, the very least passive. But nevertheless, Christ still comes. He comes to awaken the hearts of those who had fallen asleep spiritually in the house of Israel. And he came to gather up and draw to himself the nations. And we see this, we see this done through the wise men who were outsiders who were part of the nations God drawing them in after Herod told the wise men to go search they went on their way and and now let me read verses 9 through 12 it says that after listening to the king they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So we we see this unexpected desire for worship from the wise men. We see the unexpected rejection of the Jewish leaders. And now we finish by looking at this unexpected uh, these unexpected gifts that we find in this portion of Scripture. After the wise men leave Herod and go on their way, the star that they had first seen when it rose seemed to reappear. And it went before them, leading the way to the Messiah. And the wise men's reaction to the reappearing of this star is one of the clearest evidences of their true faith, and of their true faith in the God of Israel. It says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I don't remember what movie it was I saw. Um, but I remember seeing a movie where uh, the wise men are pictured um, kind of on their camels and slowly 
going about their way, and the star reappears, and they kind of look at the star, and they just kind of smile. Like, that's, that's not how it happened. <laughs> that's not at all how it happened. It rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Like, the writer is trying to use repetition here to show you these guys were full of praise. Like, they were full of worship. To see that the star that would lead them to the Christ had reappeared. They were, re- they were celebrating that this star reappeared. And it was out of this worshipful heart. Like, can, you, can you imagine? Like these wise men came from a distant land. They arrive in Jerusalem. They're asking around. No one knows where this king of the Jews is. Herod summons them, tells them that he's in Bethlehem, and then they go about their way. And then as they step out in faith, walking towards Bethlehem, the star reappears. And they celebrate it, and they rejoice and they follow this star to the Messiah. And it was out of this heart, this heart full of worship, that they then arrived and, and fell at the feet of Jesus, these, this, this baby Jesus, that they fell and they worshipped him. And out of that worship came generosity. Out of that worship, they laid before Jesus, the, the feet of Jesus, out of their treasures, some valuable gifts and And these gifts that they gave to Christ were symbolic. We see that gold is a symbol of divinity. So it was a symbol of of, of crowning Christ as the king. And frankincense frankincense uh, was used for incense offerings in the temple. And so it symbolizes holiness and, and righteousness. And it points to Christ being our priest, our 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 high priest. And myrrh was a spice used for embalming corpses. It could have also been uh, what was mixed with the wine that was uh, a a form of a sedative potion that was uh, offered to Jesus on the cross, uh, the potion that he refused. And so this pointed to the the, the future sufferings uh, and his eventual death that he would experience. His suffering as a prophet coming to proclaim the kingdom of God. And, and today, brothers and sisters, we who have seen this light, we who have been directed and guided by this light to Christ in the same way when our hearts are overflowing with worship to this Christ, it should, it should, it should overflow into generosity from, from our finances to our time Eric said earlier that we reprioritize our schedules around our parish, right? We prioritize our life around the gospel and the mission that God has placed us on, this mission to see to it that the nations are drawn in. Every man, woman, and child has an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it. From, from our finances to our time. But ultimately, and I'm closing with this, ultimately, um, the, the greatest gift that we find here is not, is not the, the, the myrrh, the frankincense, the gold. When we see the, the wise men falling before Christ in worship, and they gave of their gifts. And yes, this, 
that these gifts had a purpose, but they, they pale in comparison to the, to the greatest gift that we see in this passage, frankly, and, and it's Jesus. We see that the, that the wise men did not find the king of kings in the king's court. No, our king, our God, did not choose to be born in a high and a lofty castle uh, to a family of prestige and wealth and honor and power. No, he chose to come into this world through being born in a manger. He chose a peasant, faithful woman by the name of Mary, marginalized woman, who was betrothed to a poor man named Joseph. He chose that family through whom he would come into this world. He chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He, he is, brothers and sisters, our, our greatest gift. He is the greatest gift that God could have ever given to mankind. And in using every aspect of this story, God is revealing and showing through the, through the authorship of Matthew that regardless of what spiritual state his people may find themselves in, his mission, his plan, his purpose will be accomplished. And that is to awaken the hearts of the house of Israel, awaken the hearts of his covenant people, and to continue to draw in the nations to himself using the wise men as an example. And I'll finish with this passage out of Isaiah 60, and I want you to listen to it. I just read it over you and see the parallels between Isaiah 60 and Matthew 2. See, this, this purpose, this plan, even in the wise men entering into Jerusalem as outsiders, had been ordained from before the foundations of the world. This was part of God's plan. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. And thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the of the sea shall be turned to you the wealth of the nations shall come to you a multitude of camels shall cover you the young camels of midian and ephah and those from sheba shall come they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news the praises of the lord all the flock of kedar shall be gathered to you the rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. God's, God's mission has, has and is always and will always be to, to draw people from every tribe, tongue, and nation as he exalts Christ, his Messiah, and now, in turn, brothers and sisters, now that Christ has made us the light of the world, we, um, we shine this light that he's given us and call people to join in into this household of faith. Let me pray.
Father, we ask that, God, that this truth of, of your scripture, God, would change us, that it would change me. God, uh, let it produce worship in us, God. Let it, let it overflow into generosity, God, and let it remind us, God, that we are part of a greater plan. Uh, the, the bigger picture is that you are creating for yourself, God, a people to reveal your glory to and to reveal your glory through. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.